Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On the way to Jerusalem, we're told, Jesus was going through the region of Samaria and Galilee. And in doing so, Jesus and his disciples have crossed serious social and religious boundaries. And to help us modern-day listeners and readers understand the extent to which Jesus has gone across boundaries, I share a little background with the help of New Testament professor Ira Brent Driggers, who shares some history. Up until the 10th century B.C., there was one united kingdom of the tribes of Israel in the land of Judah. But then at that time, some of those tribes decided they wanted to start their own rival kingdom. So they headed north and established a kingdom in Samaria and north of that into Galilee. Well, then some centuries later, Assyria, a big superpower, came in and overtook that northern kingdom. And then centuries of intermarriage and interfaith began to happen there. And the southern kingdom of Judah declared this north, these northern tribes unclean, to say the least, both in how they lived and ritualistically, and they became enemies. So Driggers points out that in Jesus' day, the animosity between these two regions of Samaria and the Jews in the Jerusalem area still existed. Great hostility. Well, Jesus was always on the move for God. No matter where he felt called to go, he went. He did not care who was friend or foe. His intentions were always the same, that his words and actions and what he taught his disciples would always show what the realm of God looks like, who God is, as contrasted with the realms of the world. So as Jesus and his disciples travel along Samaria on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they are adding days to their journey. And most pilgrims from Galilee would not go near Samaria on their pilgrimages to Jerusalem for festivals like Passover and other religious festivals, but they didn't care so much was their hatred for Samaria. Well, so why is Jesus and his disciples going there, that route? When they approach this village, ten lepers see them. They have heard of Jesus. They have heard of his miraculous works. They have heard of the miraculous works of his disciples, who also have God's spirit and power within them. The Reverend John Buchanan points out that leprosy was a condition so feared that it was so believed to be contagious that people would even fear to cross the shadow of a leper lest they risk infection. And leprosy was a host of any number of skin diseases and blemishes. It was all lumped into this one category. And these folks were labeled ritualistically unclean, and they were isolated and ostracized. They were living apart from everything they know and loved, apart from all human touch and human love, their jobs, 
So when these lepers see Jesus a miracle healer, they keep their distance because they know they have to. But they call out to him, Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus hears them. Jesus sees them. And without hesitation, he responds, go and show yourselves to the priests. The priests were the only ones who could certify that their leprosy was gone, which would allow them to re-enter society and normal relationships again. The ten men right away turned to head to the priests, and as they watched their skin become as fresh and clean like a baby's, their minds are blown away. Their heads are full of imagining their lives restored, imagining seeing their families again, going back to work again to provide for their loved ones, of sharing in some wine or spirits with their best friends. And imagine the joy of their gratitude as they walk along with this new skin, as if they're being raised from the dead. And while nine of these men keep walking, or leaping or dancing, one of them turns back. As soon as he notices his skin is made new, he turns around and runs back to Jesus and falls at his feet with thanksgiving. And Luke points out that this man was a Samaritan. And now we know, as Jesus said, a foreigner, one that was hated by most people in Galilee. And even though this man has come close to him without a priest having said he's officially clean, Jesus does not budge. Jesus has no fear of becoming unclean himself because of proximity to this man. And he received this leper now healed and wonders aloud, where are the other nine? And why aren't they also pausing to thank God for their new life? like the Samaritan has. And with pity and love, he looks at the Samaritan and says, Get up. Go on your way. You are made well. So this man knows a deeper healing than just his skin. He's made well. He knows a new wholeness because of his encounter with God through Jesus. And he knows a new joy. A pastor friend told a story to help illustrate this gospel passage. So imagine this story. Imagine it's Christmas, and little Billy sees all the gifts under the tree. His relatives have arrived. It's Christmas morning, including his favorite grandma and grandpa. All the big people are drinking their coffee and eating breakfast, and Billy cannot take his eyes off the tree and all those presents. And he's wondering which ones are for him. And he's only wishing the big people would hurry up and finish eating so they could start unwrapping gifts. Well, finally they do, and his older sister is assigned to start passing out presents. And one by one she does, and finally Billy receives one, the big one, the one he's had his eyes on. He tears into the gift, unwraps it, and with the help of his parents opens the box to find the greatest toy on earth, the one he had listed at the top of his wish list to Santa. He can hardly stand it. He's so joyful. 
He takes the toy and he runs through the wrapping paper to the next room where there's space so he can adequately play, play with his new toy. And as he goes, he hears, Billy, have you forgotten something? It's the sound of mom. And he stops and he remembers. He remembers what he's been taught. What is the first and right thing to do when you receive a gift? So he stops and turns around a bit embarrassed, though still joyful. And he goes to his grandparents with a big hug and says, thank you. And they hug him. Their own joy is overflowing for Billy's joy. Their eyes are teary with love and gratitude for this grandson. And then Billy spins back around leaping and goes into the next room to play with his toy. Well, Billy is the name of my pastor friend who told me the story. It's his story. And he's now 60 years old. And he says the story still reveals something about gratitude. The lesson is it's one thing to be grateful, but it's a whole other level to express the gratitude to the one who gave you the gift. I want to invite you to look at your bulletin. On the cover, there's an artistic expression of this gospel story. And notice the lepers. Notice them dancing and jumping around with gratitude. How can you not be grateful when your life has been restored? And all ten of them are expressing it. But the one at Jesus' feet knows something more. He took his gratitude right to the source of this miracle gift he received. He knew it came from God. Who else could it come from? And he knew this man Jesus was sent from God. So he came in his new healed self and gave thanks to God, the one who is for all people. He gave thanks to God who is Emmanuel, the one who is with all people and all of us. Whether clean or unclean, whether applauded by the world or hated by the world, sinners and saints alike, God is for all of us. St. Teresa of Avila, a 16th century, century Christian mystic, had deep and profound personal experiences with God. And she wrote them down to help other Christian pilgrims, other people of God on our path. And she warns us not to rest in a false sense of accomplishment. And can't that happen as humans? I know for me it can. When something wonderful happens, if I don't acknowledge the source of the gift or the wonder, which ultimately always is God. And if I don't give thanks to God for everything, I am prone to forget that it is God who is caring for me, empowering my every move throughout my day. And I will be prone to think that I can go it alone, that I'm running the show of my life and that I'm doing just fine, that the source of all my success or joy when things go well is because I did things right. But St. Teresa warns us against this thought. She says, beware of the human tendency of this. 
and to remember always, she writes, to praise God and to love each other. And then, after giving thanks to God, returning to your everyday life to be of service to other souls on the path. So as you look at that scene again on your bulletin, I'd like us to reimagine what's going on there. The one leper who returned, thanking and praising God, was made well, we're told. And this is what happens, as we know, with encounters with Jesus. He knows a whole new level of wholeness and joy, and he cannot keep it to himself. And by divine design, this is how God works. With our well-being and joy and gratitude, we're equipped, and we may be bursting to give it away. So he gets up from Jesus' feet with gratitude and runs to the other nine, those men who have become his family in their isolated community. And he has to tell them what he knows. He knows something better and deeper. And then he invites them to come back to Jesus with gratitude to God that they might know a deeper healing. So imagine this scene that they all now have sat at the feet of Jesus with gratitude and their exuberance is at a new level and those in the village around them, their exuberance and joy, as we see, is at a high level. And then they go from there and tell others and help others on the journey how God restores our lives. David Stendhal Rast is a Benedictine brother and author. One of his books is entitled Gratefulness, The Heart of Prayer. And he writes, It is not joy that makes us grateful. It is gratitude that makes us joyful. And researchers like Brene Brown and others have quoted him in expressing our gratitude, our joy grows. I share an experience with you. Every several weeks I have the privilege and very humbling opportunity to join a couple of other women to go into one of Cincinnati's correctional facilities to lead a 12-step meeting of addiction recovery. This facility, the inmates, the men and women there, mostly are there because of the disease of addiction and the trouble it has led them to in society that now has them incarcerated. And many of them attend weekly or nightly 12-step meetings, AA or Narcotics Anonymous, on their journey to get well from the spiritual malady of addiction. They have learned through this program that a spiritual malady can only be healed through a spiritual solution, which is God. So like the leper colony of the ten, they too have been isolated from everything they know and love in the outside world. And they too have formed a community and a family. And they're trying to get well. At one of these meetings recently, when it was time for the women around the table to share, one woman who will call Sarah to guard her anonymity said, I have to share the first miracle of my life. I got to talk to my four-year-old daughter for the first time in two years. 
And in that room you could hear a pin drop except for her tears of joy and gratitude. Many of these women are young, in their 20s, and many of them are mothers separated from their own children. The woman next to me had a picture of her baby taped into her big book of Alcoholics Anonymous as a reminder of why she's there doing that hard work of recovering. Sarah's story of gratitude offered a new kind of joy and hope for those around the table. She served as St. Teresa charges us to help others on their path. As, as Sarah, shared, Sarah shared, she expressed, she said, I'm going to keep praying, keep reading my Bible, and keep coming to these meetings. For she too has a hope to be reunited with her family and her child one day. And as my friend and co-leader left the building that night and headed to our cars, my friend said to me, something happened for me in there tonight. And I inquired a little more. And she just nodded her head and she said, God changed my heart. And then she looked at me with tears of gratitude in her eyes and gave me a big hug and said goodnight. She left there a little more healed, a little more well on her own journey of recovery. Friends, by divine design, God, God has plans for our joy. And as Tina reminded us and our children today, we're healthier when we're grateful. And if that's not from God, I don't know what is. It's free. It's a free ointment for us, body, mind, and spirit. All of us know suffering, or we will, as humans. We may be in sorrow, deep sorrow right now, or in deep fear. But we belong to a God who knows us and understands everything and journeys with us and is up building us in joy through the stories of one another, through our own stories, big or tiny, of healing. So friends, may we be grateful for the smallest of things today, that we might know God's love a little more. And then ask God who God would have you share it with today. All will be blessed. And the kingdom of God will be growing in our midst as we go. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.